Welcome to the Waynesboro Church of Christ podcast. We're beginning this week a new series, Grace is Greater. You know, no sin is so great, no bitterness so deep that God's grace can't transform the heart and rewrite the story. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. So listen into our service today as we talk about this idea about the ugliness of sin, but God's grace being so great that it's better than any past mistake or regret. I posted yesterday on on our church Facebook page that we'll be starting this series and and made the this statement uh, or quote that I've sinned so much or I've done these things that God could never forgive me. And if you've been in ministry long enough or if you've talked to people who've messed up enough, you've heard this phrase before. It's unfortunate that people get to that point in their life and that they feel this way. And so I hope, my prayer is that as we come through this study, that at least no one who is hearing these lessons will will feel that way again. And maybe they'll be able to to talk to those who who do feel that way. Because God's grace is greater. In the introduction to this book, Grace is, is Greater, the author shares a, a few interesting words. Each year, the dictionaries will add new words when you, to, the, to the dictionary. Words that, well, once weren't words, and now they are. It, texting would be one of those words that... It, that has been around for a while, but at, at one point, texting wasn't a word. Here's three words that were added to the dictionary um, last year. Phonesia, disconfect, and that's not a misspelling and not disconnect, disconfect, and blamestorming. And so... It was fun to think about what, what these meant, to, to contemplate what, what, what these were before looking at the, the definition. What's, what's uh, phonesia? Is that, uh, I, I thought it was what Cheryl has, laying her phone down and, and forgetting where it, where it is. Or maybe it's that phonesia of talking on the phone to somebody and as you're trying to hurry out of the house and you're going, I'm trying to leave, but I'm looking for my phone. You act like you've never done that before. Phonesia is this. It's the, the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who you were calling just as the person answers. If you haven't done that, you will. I promise you, uh, you will. Disconfect uh, is is uh, the the next one. To sterilize a piece of candy that's been 
dropped on the ground by blowing on it. Parents, you know you're, you're guilty. Uh, if you have one child, you've never done this to a pacifier. If you have two children, you've done it a lot to your second child. You disinfect that pacifier, blowing on it. Some mothers or fathers stick it in their mouth and disconfect it with that way. Uh, and then blame storming. I found this one to be interesting. Sitting in a group and discussing who's responsible for the company or organization's problem rather than trying to solve the problem. So three words that have made it into our, our, our dictionary because they have become popular in our, in our culture. But unlike these words that we can have a little fun with, that we can um, poke fun at, grace is a term that we've heard countless times. And I'm afraid that that's to our detriment. Grace is not a new word to us. And we've heard grace, and we've heard grace defined, and we have our own vision of, of grace, and we have our own definition of, of grace and, and how, how we rectify that in, in our minds. It's familiar to us. And that can be a problem. When you're using a word that's been around for a long time and it's talked about frequently, then people tend to yawn. I bet you, some of you saw on Facebook yesterday that we were going to talk about grace and you were like, oh great. Didn't he just preach about that? Didn't Greg just preach about that? Or maybe this morning you were like, Grace, got it. How can I pull up something on my phone to pass the time this morning and nobody see me? And it's unfortunate that we feel that way about things that we are familiar with, especially something so important as the grace of God. We sing the song, Amazing Grace, but yet the word grace is so common to us that it doesn't feel so amazing. I remember a few years ago, the Kellogg's company, Kellogg's uh, put out a commercial for cornflakes. And apparently the people at Kellogg's had done some, some research and uh, they found out that most of their potential customers had grown up eating cornflakes, but hadn't purchased cornflakes in, in several years. And so they came up with this slogan and an entire campaign to advertise for Kellogg's cornflakes. And the campaign slogan was this, Kellogg's cornflakes, taste them again for the first time. They wanted to reintroduce people to their product, so they invited people to try them as if they never tried them before. You've, you've had it, 
But it's been so long, it'll be like the first time. I know that many of you have heard countless sermons about grace. Many of you have heard sermons far better than I could ever pretend to be able to stand before you and preach about grace. You've probably read books about grace. Some of you may have even read this particular uh, book that I have uh, been reading. But my prayer for you is this. That wherever you are, that you would just stop and take the time and accept the fact we're, we're going to go through this. And let's look at grace as if we were looking at it again for the first time. We're going to just take three weeks and dig into what grace actually means versus what we think it means. I don't want to throw out to you what I think it means. That doesn't matter. I don't want to encourage you to think about what you think it means. That doesn't matter. We want to look at what it actually means. We want to dig into the scriptures and see what grace actually means. God's grace is more beautiful and freeing and altogether greater than we could ever imagine. First thing I want us to note this morning is this. The more we recognize the ugliness of our sin, the more we can appreciate the beauty of God's grace. We're all familiar with Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's us. That's you. That's me. That's everyone that has ever lived, that will ever live. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are in the ugliness of sin unless we've dealt with that. It's a problem. It's a common problem that we all have, that we all must deal with. It's so common that God devised a way to deal with it. And that was grace. Last year, the New York Times interviewed the former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg. Don't turn your ears off if you don't agree with him uh, politically. But at the time, Bloomberg was 72 years old. He was being interviewed just before he was going to attend his 50th college reunion. And Bloomberg was asked how, if it was sobering to realize that so many of his former classmates wouldn't be there because they had passed away. And the journalist observes in the article that he didn't seem too worried uh, about that. And a matter of fact, he didn't seem too worried about what waited for him on the other side of, of death. And Jeremy Peters is the author of the interviewer, and he writes this. But if Bloomberg senses that 
he may not have as much time left as he would like. He has little doubt that about what would wait him at Judgment Day. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, he said with a grin, I'm telling you, if there's a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven, and it's not even close. I was shocked when I read that. I made no secret about how I feel about Michael Bloomberg politically. I just don't care for him. When I read this, I was like, this guy's clueless. From his perspective, grace is not needed. Grace is not wanted. He puts all the supposed good that he has done on one side of a scale and decides, you know what, I'm not going to need any help. Look at all the good that I've done. He seems to think that he can earn God's forgiveness through good deeds. But you know, often in our own lives, we can begin to believe that, that same lie. We start to take our own lives and, and we rationalize. You know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I mean, I know I have my problems. I know I have my issues. But look at these people over here. I know I'm better than them. We're weighing our deeds on the scale. We work hard at convincing ourselves and others that, that we're not bad. But the truth is that we're worse than we ever imagined. And the more we push back on that, then the more we push back on experiencing God's Grace, we have to recognize the ugliness of our sin. And it's only then that we can appreciate God's grace. Second thing I want us to notice this morning is this. God's grace is more beautiful than your brokenness. I misspelled the word up, up there. It's than, not that. God's grace is more beautiful than your brokenness. In John chapter 4, we read the story of, of the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And it, it's a long story. It takes place, it seems, over the course of a, a good portion of a, a, of a day. But Jesus is, is, as we know the story, he's traveling uh, and he's going through Samaria and they come to a well and they, they wait there and, you know, the woman come, comes out as he sends off the disciples into town to get something to eat. And 
And as he's sitting there near Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman comes out, and she comes out at an odd time, we, real, we realize, as she's hiding from her sins. She doesn't come early in the morning or late in the evening when most of the ladies came out to, to gather water when it was cooler. She came in the, middle of the, in the middle of the day, and she came by herself, and Jesus... And this lady began to have a, a conversation. And in verse 9, the Samaritan woman says, you know, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How, how can you ask me for a, a drink? And Jesus said, well, if you knew the gift of God and, and who it is that asked you for that drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She still wasn't quite understanding where Jesus was going, which wasn't uncommon for Jesus when he taught. He he revealed just enough as he wanted to to someone She says, are you greater than our father Jacob that built this well, that gave us this well? And Jesus reminded her, you know, you're going to drink from this well. Matter of fact, everybody that drinks from this well, they're going to get thirsty uh, again. But I can give you water that will spring up in, in you and give you eternal life. And you'll never thirst again. And she's like, well, sign me up. Give me this water. And she says, so I don't have to keep coming down here to this well. She still didn't quite understand. And so Jesus then points to the question. He gets to the heart of the matter. And she says, I'll tell you what, go get your husband and come back. And she said, well, I, I, I have no husband. And then Jesus begins to talk to her about her life. And he says, you're right. And he says, you have this issue in your life. You've been married this many times. And the man you're living with right now is not even your husband. And in the verse 20, Jesus says, our father... The the woman said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so the woman then replies and says, You know, I know that there's this Messiah that. Christ that's supposed to be coming that that they talk about 
And Jesus does something that's odd. Jesus does something that he hasn't done prior. In our language, basically, he looks and he says, woman, you're talking to him. I am he. See, like we see in the story of the woman at the well, when God's grace and his mercy collide with our shame and with our guilt, it's both messy and it's beautiful. Jesus knows everything we've ever done. Every dark secret that you have tried to hide, he knows. But he wants to make sure that you know that grace is greater. Jesus doesn't step away from the truth. He describes the reality of what this lady at, that he encounters at the well has done. He, 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 he fully acknowledges the mess that her life has become. You know, when we encounter people that make the statement, and maybe you've made this statement or felt this way in your life, that God, you know, God can never forgive me. Maybe it's not the fact that you don't believe God can forgive you, but it's an acknowledgement of, you know, I've just made such a mess of that I don't even know where to begin to start straightening things out. The well of relationships that this woman at the well keeps drawing from. It's not quenching her thirst. But Jesus isn't going to politely pretend that everything is just, just okay when he knows that everything's not okay in her life. If she's going to receive grace, she's going to have to stop hiding from her sin. It's hard. This is hard. And I know that we want to find a, another way. But here's the truth. Before we can collide with the grace of God we must collide first with the truth about our own sin I wonder what hard truth Jesus would say to you or me if I were to encounter Jesus At the well, hiding out from my sin. Maybe he would say, you know, your short temper keeps everyone around you on edge. And bitterness towards you is growing in your family. Maybe Jesus might say, your drinking's gotten out of control. It's affecting a lot more people than than just you. 
Your porn problem is killing any chance of intimacy that, that, that you have in marriage. Your flirting is leading down a path that will devastate your family. You're allowing your heart to fall for a girl who's causing you to fall away from me. You're choosing your living boyfriend or girlfriend over a relationship with me. It's going to have to be one or the other. Perhaps Jesus would look at at you and say, you're going deeper and deeper into debt to feel better about yourself, but the water out of that well will never satisfy you. Maybe he would say your self-righteous and legalistic spirit is causing the people at your job to run from me and my son Jesus. Maybe he would say your judgmental attitude and your harsh tone are costing you a relationship with those people around you, including your family. Jesus speaks some difficult truths. It's part of that collision with grace that a lot of us do our best to avoid. You see, because to encounter grace, we have to face up to our our sin. In order for grace to be able to fix our brokenness, we have to acknowledge that we are broken to begin with. Back to our story of the Samaritan woman. She doesn't believe that this water that he's talking about will forever quench her thirst. Remember her history. She had all kinds of men with and all kinds of promises that were probably made to her. She's a skeptic. She's skeptical. She's cynical. She doesn't trust a man who seems to be promising once again more than he could possibly deliver in her mind. She makes a number of false assumptions about Jesus and this gift that he offers. And these assumptions are are keeping her from getting too close. Each assumption was like a, a brick and a wall that separates her from grace. And as their conversation continues, she's... Ready to be done, she tries to to wrap it up, and so she says this phrase, "You know, I know Messiah is coming, and he'll explain everything to us." It's almost like, "Ah, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'll let the Messiah explain it to me when he comes." Don't miss the irony here. She says to Jesus. I know that when Jesus comes, he'll make everything clear. 
Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm fairly certain that, that Jesus couldn't help but, but give just a slight smile, maybe even a smirk, when, when he, he said to her, You know, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. Lady, I'm the Messiah. This is the only time in his entire life when Jesus voluntarily and candidly tells someone he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's to this Samaritan woman... This woman with a, a bad reputation who's been married numerous times and who's now living with someone that she's not married to. How's that for grace? The worst thing that could happen is that you spend your life like this woman trying to outrun God because you think he's chasing you to collect what you owe when really he's chasing you to try to give you what you can't afford That's the irony of the whole thing. And so many of us are just like this woman at the well, spending our time running. Now, we won't say we run from God, but we're running from our past. We're running from our sin. And as long as we're running from our past and as long as we're running from our sin, we can never fully accept. God's grace. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Finally, point three this morning. It's God's grace that redeems all of our past regrets. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Scripture says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, 
You'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. As this passage illustrates, Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you don't have to be imprisoned by your regrets. Jesus still has a great plan for Peter. Grace has the power to redeem regret. Have you ever done something in your life that you regretted? A lot of us have done things in our lives that immediately after we did it, we regretted it. And I'm not talking about things that were just simply embarrassing, but I'm talking about those things that true regret. We knew we messed up. We knew we made a mistake. Maybe it was the way you acted in front of your children. And you lost your temper and you said things that you shouldn't have said. Maybe it's the way you treat your spouse or treated your spouse on occasion. Whether physically or, or, or verbally. Regret. Maybe it's things that are way in the past. Things that you have regretted year after year after year. And you've carried it on your back like so much baggage. Never able to fully unload it. These regrets were never meant to follow us around for our entire life. Unfortunately, we live in a time today that it seems mistakes make people happy. Everybody except the people that make them. Political parties have Teams, both sides, teams digging through high school yearbooks, looking for incriminating photographs. Young folks, all I can tell you is I'm sorry if you ever decide to get into public life. Your Instagram, your Twitter, your Snapchat, and all those things. Hopefully won't come back to haunt you. Hopefully there's nothing there, but. Our own governor 
was kind of in the hot seat lately because when he was in college, he went to an event where everyone dressed up in the period of the Confederacy, women and men alike. Someone went through, found an old yearbook, found one picture with him in it. You got to drug up those paths. He says he regrets that. You take him at his word. But what about those things that are in your life that are holding you back? Not the embarrassing things, not the things that would hold you back in from having a political career. The things that are holding you back from living the life that God would have you to live. The things that are in your life that are holding you back, even as we talked about, holding you back from making a decision to become a Christian that you have this false belief that the devil keeps putting into your mind, God will never forgive you for that. Or you did this so much that there's no way God will ever forgive you. If you feel regret, that's good. Regret should lead to remorse. That's the right response. That's the correct response when we are confronted with our sin. God's grace is not going to leave you there. But that is where God's grace will most often find you. If you have those regrets... If you feel bad about it, God's grace is right there with you. God wants to erase the sin and regret. Will you let your past mistakes destroy your life? Or will you let them become a trophy? Of God's grace. If we realize our need for God's grace. If we're willing to submit to him. And his grace will transform our lives. Because God's grace. Is greater. Period. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to take advantage of God's grace. Do you believe that His Son is that Jesus is His Son? Will you repent of your sin, those things you've held on to and regretted for so long? Will you confess Christ before men? Will you be baptized? Allow your sins to be washed away. It's that simple. God wants to free you. Scripture says, and you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. This is exactly what we're talking about. Freedom to live the life that God intended for you to live.
Maybe you're here this morning as a Christian and you realize somewhere along the way that, that you stumbled, you fell, but you, for whatever reason, for pride or, or, or for whatever reason, you've left those sins in the past and that regret still hangs. Don't let that hold you back anymore. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come right now while we stand and while we sing.